unfortunately doesn't work. I'm guessing ratings wise, they decide to to flip the format. Where you did your heart kind of sink? Yeah, <laughs> I was. Was that I the was first? Pretty devastated. Yeah. yeah, but the first time I was fired. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm trying to think if there was anything before that. Ben's town president Dave Chachi Dennis loves radio and all of his radio friends. Hey, Chachi. Hey, everybody. Because Chachi loves everybody. <laughs> My next guest is the host of the third most listened to morning show in New York. And I mean, she really should be the second most listened to morning show in New York. She just missed it by, I think, 100 listeners, 100 AQH, if you can believe that. But to put that into perspective, (laughs) only Elvis Duran and Scott Shannon have more listeners. She's not only an incredible radio personality, but she's also a remarkable actress, playwright, and podcast host. Please welcome Christine Nagy from Cubby and Christine Mornings on FM or WLTW. Christine, thank you so much for being on with me today. I really appreciate it. Are you it. kidding? Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me, Chachi. It's an honor. Thank you. I was fortunate enough to meet you. I think it's probably at least been a decade, maybe 12 years now, uh, through our friend Heather Cohen. Heather, uh, you and I sat next to each other at, a, I think it was a City of Hope wine dinner uh, in New York. And uh, I just remember you making such a, an amazing uh, impact on me and just such, so nice, so approachable. And you were already dominating New York at, at that time in the ratings. And uh, you're just so humble and uh, easy to talk to. Oh, well, thank you. And same here. I had, you know, and I was right, the best first impression of you. And Heather is wonderful, right? Heather is um, is my agent for Heather's, radio. And she's, she's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I just saw her uh, a few days ago. She was in uh, Vegas uh, with Nick, Nick Cannon. So uh, it was good to see her and she's doing really well. And uh, she's the agent, agent to the stars. I just saw you. That is your, I'm going to bring this up right now, but uh, Christine's a huge animal lover, such as myself. You had a cat, Huey, for many years, and then Huey uh, passed away, I guess, about a year or two ago, um, unfortunately. But now you have a new kitty. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Huey was with me through so much and then um, passed away right after we locked down uh. in such a, you know, always a painful time to lose anybody, but especially especially then. And, um, and I felt like I could never adopt again because I couldn't go through the heartache again. But like you said, you're an animal lover and this house was so empty without having an animal. So, um, I like just, I think I caved in within three months or something. I was at North Shore Animal (laughs) League and I adopted this guy who is probably going to be interrupting our podcast quite a bit. It's all good. What's what's his name? (laughs) His name is Archie. Archie. I, 100% 100% know how that goes. And I think the best way of honoring your prior pet is by adopting another one because there's so many animals out there that are in need of a home. Mm-hmm. And it is incredibly tough because my chihuahua, as you know, uh, Penny, who I lost a few years ago, that was incredibly tough. And I don't so have any sorry. kids. And yeah. they're, an animal is in a lot of ways like a kid that never grows up because they're with you all the time, always dependent upon you. And so I remember the exact same thing, coming home when she was gone. And even though she was only nine pounds, it just felt mm-hmm. like there was so much energy uh, that had just dissipated from the house. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They bring you so much joy, right? And then, and they're a part of you. I feel like they're, they're a part of your soul. They, they understand what you're feeling and I understand what they're feeling. And 
Archie and I are getting to that level. He's still a crazy kitten, basically. <laughs> Even though he's almost, he's going to be two, but he still has that kitten energy. So he's just like really excited about everything. And especially it'll, when I come home, he's really excited. So that's always cool. <laughs> it'll take some time for him to have that Dalai Lama type wisdom. Yes, that, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that Huey had. <laughs> right. Uh, talking about growing up, tell me a little bit about uh, about your youth. What was it? Uh, what was it like? Where did you grow up? Um. Well, you mentioned I work in New York. I grew up right outside of New York City in northern New Jersey. Um, my mom was from Brooklyn. My dad was off the boat from Hungary. We have that in common, our Hungarian which we, background. Which we do. Yes. That's right. When did your dad leave? My father uh, left during the revolution in, in 1956. When did your dad come over? Yeah, my dad actually was after World War II. So I think my father, probably quite a bit older than your dad. And uh, he made his way... It took a while. It took him about six years, but he made his way to New York where he met my mom, didn't speak English, but they fell in love. And many years later, here I am. So (laughs) they lived in Manhattan for a while and then they moved to the suburbs of New Jersey, which I I know for a fact broke my mom's heart because she was really a a city city girl. girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I grew up. Was she Hungarian as well? No, not of Hungarian descent. She's of German descent. But I grew up uh, going back and forth to Manhattan all the time because she loved art and the museums, and that's where her friends were, and family was out there. So I identify with New York City in a big way. Is that where your love of art came from, from your mom? Because you were so artistic, I'd mentioned, but you're a playwright, an actress, obviously an amazing on-air talent. Uh, You're just really uh, multifaceted in your uh, talent and your artistic ability. Thank you so much. I think, yeah, I think that came from my mom's side. My dad was a a soccer player and I'm terrible with sports at zero coordination. So (laughs) whatever genes kind of filtered through was definitely, I picked up on those. It's it's funny because we're we're split and my family, my brother Charles was a great musician. So he got the artistic side and my brother Steven is a great athlete. So he got my dad's side. Oh, that's amazing. One of uh, the best soccer teams of all time, uh, and sometimes arguably looked back, if you try to pick, like, what was the best baseball team of all time? And, you know, they'll pick the Yankees when Gehrig and Murder's Row was there and Babe Ruth and so forth. But there's a Hungarian soccer team. I want to say this was probably in the 20s or the 30s, but prior to the war that was kind of revered as like the best, possibly the best soccer team that had ever lived. And they went, I want to say, 100 plus games without losing a game. Oh, wow. I don't even know about this. Yeah, I need to get you some more info on it. But yeah, yeah. soccer is, is a religion uh, in, in Hungary and uh, in a lot of Europe, as you know. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So did your dad play just more kind of recreationally or did he uh, uh, professionally compete? Yeah, I guess he was professional when he was in Europe and then tried to pick that up here professionally, but uh, couldn't sustain a living with it. It wasn't as popular, especially then. Um, sure. So he was so- a high high-level athlete then. He was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was always taking us out into the park and we were seeing his great skills. You know, we'd watch him play. He was really, really amazing, but I never got to see him play professionally. Okay. That's a cool story though, that uh, he had uh, such uh, soccer skills back uh, in Europe that would be uh, highly revered. We don't have the- here, because we have so many other sports, baseball and, and hockey and uh, American football, soccer doesn't get, I think, the respect it deserves, but you go elsewhere and it is, it uh, yeah. nothing is bigger. It makes our American football seem incredibly small, actually, as uh, right, big as it is. Right, right. 
The yeah. fans are really passionate. He did take to baseball and he loved the Yankees. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up, did you know you wanted to be on the air? Yeah, I think um, I did. I knew I knew that I loved acting. Like I, I think I declared it when I was two years old or something. I told my parents I was going to be an actress and they kind of went, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> maybe I'll think about that, you know, <laughs> like later on. Um, and, and I had a little tape recorder when I was a kid and I would pretend to be a, a newscaster and, you know, like want to go up to people and, you know, do street reporting, man on the street kind of stuff. And That's ask so questions. cute. Were they supportive <laughs> of it? <laughs> yeah, they were. They really, really were. So, um, so I knew that I loved acting. I knew that I loved uh, the the interviewing, and um, really discovered that I loved radio when I went to college. Like that's where I uh, I found like oh, I love radio, even over TV broadcast news. Like radio felt felt like home to me. Where did you go to school? Montclair State University. And so. did they have a broadcast program there? Yeah, they did. They had an amazing program, and they still do. And they, uh, it's, I mean, it's a school I highly, highly recommend. It's here in Northern New Jersey. And um, they've got like a great ratio of hiring, you know, for the kids really? graduating, actually getting real jobs in the industry. Yeah, that's that's very highly regarded. Yeah. So when you went, was that your major communications with an emphasis on broadcasting? It was, yep, yep. Actually, I majored in broadcasting. It's its own major. Oh, that's there. cool. That's really yeah. cool. And yeah. I have down, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your first gig was actually a traffic reporter. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. For, yeah. for NBC. And was that right out of school? Yeah, that was right out of school. That was- In, uh, in what market? Uh, New York. Oh my God. That's incredible. So you literally I, graduate and you go into market number one as a traffic reporter. Yeah, I did. Honestly, <laughs> I was really, really lucky. And again, we're going back a couple of years, so you know, bear with me, but there was such a thing as a phone book and- you know, yellow pages. And I, <laughs> I was graduating school and I thought, well, I want to work in radio. Where are the radio stations? And I kind of just looked it up in the telephone book, which, you know, you can go Google now and, get, get out. and so called that's how you- stations. Yes. And I called shadow traffic and they liked my voice and they said, come on in. It was a, a friend of mine also, you know, vouched for me that I would oh, be good and they invited me in and that's that's how that happened. I mean, that's incredible. That's actually virtually unheard of. I, I love the tenacity and the fact that you just went through the phone book and that's how you, <laughs> yeah, and, and you were cold calling stations, but to get yes. hired in market one as their first, as, as your first gig, I mean, I can, I, I don't know if I know anyone uh, who had that trajectory. So you were working for Shadow. Were you on, were you doing multiple stations for them or were you just on one station for Shadow? Yeah, I was on a bunch of stations and that's why, um, moving forward in my career, I mean, that's fantastic in and of itself, but that also gave me incredible exposure to all the different stations and the formats. And, you know, I was doing NBC, their local Today in New York show in the morning. That also gave me opportunities for broadcast television. There was a while where uh, the producers there were interested in talking to me. I was going in, I was learning how to quote unquote, put together packages. That's amazing. So when you were on with Shadow in New York, was it both audio and video? Yes. But geez, that must've been like drinking from a fire hose. So much must've been coming at you. It was a little crazy. Yeah. Because, um, you know, in a good way, um, and probably better that I didn't know how 
big it was at the time that I just kind of went, okay, I'll do this. Okay, I'll do that. You know, but I was doing the uh, the morning show today in New York. I started as a, a fill-in there. So I was up bright and early to do TV. And then I'd go home and take a little nap and then come back in the afternoon and do afternoon drive and do traffic reports for stations like 1010 Winds, like major major radio stations in New York. Amazing. How often are you, when you're bouncing from station to station, and I know a little bit about traffic, but not a great deal, how much time do you have in between? And if they're running a few minutes late, can't that just now impact everything like a domino? Yeah, it was uh, that part of it was really, really stressful because if you could be balancing six or seven stations in a shift and have to hop from one to another, and there were different ways to sign on to stations at that point, you know, and like you said, one, somebody's off just a couple of minutes or something doesn't connect and the timing's off and then doing a station like 1010 wins, you know, where it, it's got to be to the minute because that's how they, sure. they market themselves. You know, you, you can't be late. So there was, um, there was a little bit of pressure in that. So now I've got like timing down. I used to walk around with a with a big stopwatch, like where where it is a necklace, <laughs> like Flavor so, Flav. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before my time, and, or, or around the same time, and then like I would have the real time on there. But then I knew too, like uh, if I was going to take a little break, I've got three minutes. Boom, I would hit uh-huh. it, you know, to make sure it come back. <laughs> Did you have a producer, anyone helping you, or you had to do this all on your own? The um, people were producing the traffic. They were working like mad to get the the latest traffic reports up on the screen. So you were reading it in real time. Got and they kind of had their own lingo. So you kind of had to learn this traffic ease, Almost the way like they were a, writing a, it. A court reporter, you have to know how to uh, to translate it all. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of their traffic code. Exactly. And know the roads inside and out. So like to this day, I don't really get lost in New York because I hear like, I hear the traffic in my head. I know what exit's going to come up next. <laughs> you don't need navigation. You're good. Right. <laughs> it's me. I, I'm the navigation. <laughs> <laughs> so from traffic reporting in, in New York for Shadow, uh, obviously a, a big gig because you're bouncing around from all these different stations. How do you get hired to be the morning co-host of Q104? You were on with uh, Trent Tyler and you were mm-hmm. there when they literally, uh, they flipped it from a classical music station. And so how did that come to be? I was the first live voice after they flipped. They brought me on to do traffic reports. Okay. And uh, Bob Elliott was the program director and there was going to be uh, a big uh, launch party for Q104, New York's Pure Rock. And I was invited to that party and I thought, this is a really important moment. I want to really be prepared. And I want to know this format inside and out and talk to this program director and let them know that I'd be really interested in doing more for the station. And that's, that's what happened. We met at the big launch party and then I got called in for an interview and teamed up with Trent Tyler to do mornings. Amazing. And you knew at that time as you were doing traffic that you wanted to transition into being a morning show host. Was that something, I mean, it sounds like it was certainly something you wanted and you did all the due diligence and obviously impressed the programmer, but what was it that turned you on to doing radio versus, because as that traffic reporter role, you could have, I would assume, move into television reporting or television anchor. What made you decide that radio was where you wanted to be? I just, uh, I felt more comfortable with radio and that it, I could be myself so to speak, you know, um, doing TV news, the little bit of experience that I had going out there was incredible, but it, the radio just felt to me, 
a little more immediate and personal and creative rather than reporting. I mean, you've got to be incredibly creative to be a great reporter, and I'm not taking anything away from that. But the, you know, the, the storytelling aspect of radio and the slice of life and the lifestyle sure. reports, all of that kind of stuff. There wasn't as much of that in television when I was getting started. I think now there's more of an outlet for that in TV. But personality-driven TV broadcasters, I didn't see that as much. I saw them more as like straight news reporters, and I didn't feel that that was the right fit for me. Yeah. That's funny. I felt the exact same way. I had the luxury when I was getting my start in San Diego, which was impressive until I heard you got your start in New oh. York. <laughs> I think San Diego is amazing. Was a, uh, I was at uh, KFMB uh, um, or FM, which was the radio station, but they also had KFMB television, which was the CBS affiliate. And so I had a very good friend of mine, still a very good friend of mine to this day who was working down there. And so I'd get a nice taste of television. I could just walk down the hall and kind of take it all in, but it mm-hmm. seemed very regimented to me and just not... To your point, I guess probably not as loose as I would want it to be. And radio just felt less nerve-wracking, I guess, mm-hmm. than, than yeah, TV. Exactly. Radio, you feel like you're you're talking to your friends, right? And yes. It, it feels like this exchange. And again, with my background also being in acting, that it's improv every second of every day. It's actually <laughs> you know, a really when you when you're on it. the air. Yeah, yeah, so it just it felt more comfortable to me. It felt it felt more like the right place for me. Well, it was obviously the right choice because you've had just an amazing career. So, Thank how long you. are you on the air at, at Q104? Oh, 2 years. And then they flipped formats again. Okay. <laughs> Before we get to the transition because fact that and then you go on to Z100, the story just gets crazier and crazier, but what was it like literally just cracking the mic for the first time. You'd have been on the air as a traffic reporter, but now to crack the mic as the co-host of a morning show in New York City, what did that feel like? I just think I was so excited about it. You know, I know I'm nervous. I'm always nervous, especially with something new. And then you kind of get over that because you start to feel like you're at home and and you're making it your own. But really, like, what an incredible opportunity Uh, you know, this is a brand new format with a whole new audience that doesn't know you yet. It's like, we're all getting to know each other. It was, it was incredible two years of work. I really loved my experience there. And then unfortunately it doesn't work. I'm guessing ratings wise, they decide to, to flip the format where you, did your heart kind of sink? Yeah. (laughs) I was, Was I was pretty devastated. Yeah. Yeah. But the first time I was fired. Yes. (laughs) I think I'm trying to think if there was anything before that, but I was also, um, I was doing Tony and Tina's wedding off Broadway at the time, right. Where I was playing Tina. I just been cast in that. And it was like my second or third week doing that show. And then I found out that I lost my job at Q. And oh, I was let go on a Friday afternoon and had to go on it as Tina on Friday night. And that was, I was like devastated, elated to be doing this role. But, you know, there's sure. so much going on Both <laughs> these feelings, like this adrenaline yeah. of getting on stage and, you mm-hmm. know, having this huge role and then also losing your gig. How, yeah. how long were you on the beach, um, uh, per se, after you lost Q and then you somehow end up at Z100? So uh, walk me through that. Uh, eight days. Get out. I don't even want to say. Get, you were. Because <laughs> I know what this sounds like now because oh I'm older my. with, <laughs> 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 and, and I know how, how it goes. I have more life experience now. That's incredible. Eight days sounds so obnoxious, but it really. 
<laughs> and I thought I was going to die. Like seriously, <laughs> you I didn't, didn't even survive. You didn't, you didn't even have time to like take any sort of uh, vacation. You literally eight days later. So how did how did you land the gig at Z100? You're going to say, what? I walked a demo into Z100. I am like the shyest person. I don't know where I get this from when I want a job. When I want a job, I'm going for that job. And I just, I took what I had from Q104 and walked it into Z and left it for Tom Pullman, who was the program director you know, very confidently. And I said, wow, I've got this great audience at Q and they want to know where they can find me. So I'd love to say they can find me here. And, you know, it's all life is all about timing. There was a position open. They, you know, it was Elvis and Elliot and they were looking for a female co-host. So the stars aligned on that one. So you walk in the air check, Tom Pullman, obviously one of the most respected, uh, one of the greatest set of ears of, of all time, legendary uh, programmer and CHR programmer in particular, listens to the air check. It must've been one of, I can only imagine how many probably were sent to him, listens to it. And then you get a call right away. Yeah, I get a call right away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what does he say? I Walk me through that conversation. He, he kind of used my words that were in this probably handwritten letter. And he said, okay. He goes, let's bring your audience over here. Let's see, let's see how we do. So, you know, it was a trial run. And, uh, and Elvis and Elliot were happy with me and hired me. And amazing. It was just amazing, yeah. Now, uh, every, everyone knows Elvis um, at that point, and Elliot for that matter, but at that point, I mean, had they exploded to the level that, that Elvis is at today, or was this still kind of a, a, a budding show? No, it was definitely a budding show. Okay. I think they were pretty new together as a team, and they were, I, Z was in a bit of a transition, right? Because they had done the alternative music, sort of what we were doing at Q104, Okay. They were alternative and then they were returning back to top 40. Oh, I see. So they were, you know, again, I was in a situation where we're trying something new, even though that had historically worked for Z and that's definitely who they are. It was new at that time again. So finding that audience again, I got to build but what a, a great fun, show. I'm sure, yeah, it must have been a great time. You mm-hmm. had, and I was doing a little bit of research, and I came across a uh, video on YouTube, and you were talking about being there in New Jersey uh, on with Elvis and Elliot when the Twin Towers were struck. And you could yeah. literally see out the window, you had a direct line of sight to the towers. And uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? And just, I, obviously, I think all of us, I remember getting on uh, getting I was at that time working with Johnny and uh, Mark and Kim were doing mornings on coast and I got called from Mark and he said you need Mm -hmm. to to come down here and I remember that day like it was you know Mm -hmm. yesterday and uh, you know racing on the freeway to get to the station but uh, fill me in what it was like to see it firsthand yeah at that point Elliot had um, moved on so he was in Washington DC so now it's Elvis's show and uh our building was the tallest, at that point, the tallest building in Jersey City, directly across the water, directly across the Hudson River from the World Trade Center. So I was on air. My back is to the windows. Elvis has a view. And um, our phone, he was our phone up at the time, Tim Louie, said, you guys like came in like when we were in a break. And he said, there's a fire at the World Trade Center. You know, and I turned around and Elvis looked, I think we had the shade down because it was a beautiful day. It was really, really sunny. We put the shades up and we're like, well, and then our first thought was like, 
okay, a plane must have hit the building. We thought a small plane. It didn't, from our point of view, it didn't look like a, a massive fire. Right. You know, and we were very obviously upset because we knew that somebody had been hurt. At least one person had been hurt. And we opened up the mics and we said, there's, there's something happening at the World Trade Center. We were kind of describing what we were seeing. And then, then the second plane hit. And then it truly was, we said, we're going we're gonna to put you on with national news. I mean, you know, I, I, it's hard to even, I, I still can hardly talk about it. Yeah, it's, just it, um, heart-wrenching even 20 it really years is. Uh, ago. And I, I remember that day like it, it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Did you lose any friends or family in the towers? No, I didn't. Uh, Tim, who was our phone op at the time, who was a great rock band right now, by the way, he, he, uh, the person who alerted us, he did lose his cousin in the building. So I knew people who lost people, um, you know, before we knew the scope of it, some of our, we wanted to just help like anything we could do to possibly help. And some sure. of our promotions crews went over there downtown to try and um, pick people up because there were people who needed rides to get home, to get out of the area. Wow. And they came back to the station and they were covered in that dust that you see people covered in. And that was that was the next day, I think. I don't think we immediately went over there. We all just tried to get home safely right. that day. And then we went back on air the next day and we kind of just, even though, you know, morning show, we're supposed to sign off at 10, we just stayed on and stayed on. We went back on you know, even onto the weekends, just offering whatever we could. Um, there were, I remember nurses calling in that were exhausted that had worked like three days in a row and just needed a ride home. We just were kind of offering up the airwaves to help people and for people to get messages across to each other, to their friends and relatives that they were safe. Right. This is early days, very early days of internet, very early days of, of cell phones. Cell phones uh, texting were down. Very, yeah. Cell yep. towers were down. Um, yeah. Amazing. I mean, just uh, heart wrenching, but also what you guys did was incredible. And I'm sure so many, you know, millions of people probably got a tremendous amount of accurate information from what you and uh, Elvis and the entire team was doing there. Yeah, they were fantastic. Elvis really, really led the way on that one. And, you know, like called us that the the day of on September 11th, he called us that evening and he said, you know, if you don't want to come in tomorrow, I understand, but are you up for it? And, you know, I said, yes. And everyone else on the team said yes. And I think that was our way of feeling like contributing, just, you know, wanting to, to do whatever we could do to help. Sure. Sure. It, uh, you guys, I think didn't an amazing job as did other, other shows in New York and obviously the first responders, but I heard that story and I just wanted to, to hear it from you because I found it so powerful as you were telling it. So thank you. I know it's a tough oh, thing to have you. to bring up, but Thanks. I really appreciate you sharing it. Z100, how long do you end up staying there? Eight and a half years. <laughs> That's an amazing run. So yes. you go now from being a traffic reporter, you, I guess, cut your teeth, if you can call it that, doing mornings on Q104 in New York. And now you're on with Elvis as the co-host. And the station, at this point, you get there as they transition from really kind of an alternative into now CHR and are really there as it's catching its stride and mm-hmm. it goes on to be the most listened to CHR station on, on the planet or at least in the incredible. United States. 
Yeah, yeah incredible. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> what was that? Let's talk just about the, some of the, we just talked about obviously a very serious moment, but some of the fun times and tell me just like a story where you felt like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. And oh, I felt like this. that. I feel like, uh, like almost every day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that station was so tremendous. I, like it, and is, I shouldn't say so because it's, you know, it's past tense for me, but always a part of me. That was the first time, except for doing TV, doing TV, people would recognize you sometimes, but I would go out and people would recognize me by my voice. Like I would, you know, ask for a table at a restaurant and someone would ask right. if I was from the morning show on Z. It was like, wait, what? You could, that's oh, cool. how big that show is and was, right. I mean, they're, you know, incredible. So moments like, you know, being on stage at Madison Square Garden and introducing Mariah Carey is like. I still can't wrap my head around that I got to do That's that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and and work with such uh, tremendous talents. You know, people who I are legendary. Elvis is legendary. So it's it was an incredible experience and opportunity. Yeah, what what an amazing set of call letters and what uh, to mm-hmm. be able to study under the tutelage of Tom Pullman and Elvis oh, yeah. and it's like oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you couldn't ask for uh, for better mentors in in mm-hmm. the, in the space. So. You're Z now for eight years, eight and a half years. And how does the call to LTW, how does that happen? Because you transition over there to go work now with another legendary programmer, Jim Ryan, who I've got yeah. so much respect for, <laughs> yes, and definitely. go co-host a show with Bob Bronson. So mm-hmm. how did, is that something you just walked down the hall and asked for, or <laughs> how did that happen? No, I, no, I didn't ask for that one. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I was uh, very fortunate that it was offered to me, Tom Pullman, called me into the office and said, there's an opportunity. They want to build a morning show at Light FM. And gosh, they have wonderful people on the air. Bill Buckner was on the air with Nick Gregory doing weather, but they weren't doing a full-on, obviously, Z Morning Zoo format. Sure. They just wanted, they wanted to add in a little more talk, like tread the water lightly and, and try a little more, quote-unquote, personality, like bring out Bill's personality, bring me in and... Okay, and but you're so still playing. You're playing several songs an hour. Oh, quite a few. So, <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> so that's it. So I kind of went in there and and at first was like, I don't I don't even know how to get started because there was so much music that was being played and this the audience wasn't used to hearing a lot of chit-chat and I certainly didn't want to turn anybody off. But we we wanted to build this new audience or introduce the audience they had to just a little more in the morning news and lifestyle reports and that friendly chit chat. So Bill was wonderful and welcomes me onto his show. That's fantastic. So let me ask you just kind of a psychological, because what you did is very similar to what Ellen Kay has done now here in Los Angeles. They, she went from kiss and then moved over to coast and has had a tremendous amount of success. Was there some because I remember when I was running K-Big and there was some talk about changing the morning show and so forth. And well, I don't want to name names, but one of the big CHR talents here was really against going over to an AC format. Was that mm-hmm. something that you kind of thought about? And you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Is not going to be as exciting? I'm, uh, it's not as sexy as, as CHR. Did you have to grapple with that a bit? Yeah, I, uh, definitely. At first it was, um, it was an adjustment and you know, obviously I'm really happy where I am and it turned out great, but yeah, anytime there's a change, I mean, even going from New York's pure rock, right? Q104 to top 40, as much as I love that music, 
was a change. It's a change of lifestyle. It's a different audience. So um, going over to light was, okay, who is this audience? What are they into? What type of music do they like? Can I embrace this music? And I, I can, and I could, but definitely yeah. had to adjust. I mean, you know, you're going from Z Morning Zoo with all those personalities to, to like a, a really calm, mellow show that's sure. just starting to build. So you've got, I've got to kind of pull back and not have those expectations. It's a, it's a completely different approach. But I didn't want to um, fall into the trap of thinking, well, Light FM is calming and it's quiet and start doing that sort of thing. I was like, right. no, they brought me over here because they like what they're hearing on Z. So I have to make sure that I'm still myself fitting into this format. And I think that that was key. Like when I had that aha moment, my brother was the one who helped me see that. <laughs> you know, Yeah, yeah, because he yeah. was listening and he said to me, he goes, Christine, he goes, stop lighting it up. And I was like, what? And he goes, you're trying, he goes, I think you're trying to sound like the format. Stop trying to be light. Just be you. That's who they hired. And it was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And that's when it kind of all came together. He's quite the morning show coach. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> he was spot on. And I, uh, uh-huh. I applaud you for that move because I think it was Thank sheer you. brilliance and honestly ahead of your time in a lot of ways. And I would imagine part of that architecture is what they were thinking of when they moved Ellen over. And Ellen's mm-hmm. had a tremendous amount of success oh. on, on Coast. It's been so, I'm so happy for her because I used to work she's with her. Somebody, yeah, she's somebody I really admire. I've, you know, I've yeah. never met her, um, so... Oh, no kidding. Please give her my love and tell her oh how my much gosh. I admire I'll, I'll her, I'll connect please. you guys. You guys are actually so similar in so many <laughs> yeah. ways. And she's a, she's a fantastic talent. And I think uh, uh, it takes, uh, you know, a lot of guts, but also you've just done an amazing job of embracing that because it is a big change. And to now all of a sudden, and I'm guessing to some degree, uh, because Elvis was such, I, I understood that you, when you were on, you know, on uh, Q104, it was your show uh, with Trent, but that was something new, something that was established. And now you're on with Elvis and Elvis is such a big personality. And so mm-hmm. you kind of feel now it's really, I mean, this, you yes. are there. It is all the pressure is on you. So that's got to be a lot of stress. Cause I know Ellen went through that, you know, here she's on with Rick yep. Dees and you've got Rick there, who's a big personality and then Ryan Seacrest. And now all of a sudden it's you. And that is, I'm sure- somewhat, even with that experience of being on in LA or New York for as many years, it's got to be still really uh, uh, stressful. Oh yeah, you nailed it. I, uh, <laughs> I, I also, when I got the job at Light, uh, they, were, they were really generous with me. I was also working um, for Sirius XM. I was hired by Martha Stewart started a channel. I and have that. I, I got to hear about this. So yes, yeah, tell me about the Martha I'm, Stewart channel. Because they kind of tie in together, they happened at the same time is why I'm I'm bringing it up. Um, I hope that's okay. I'm j- if I'm jumping course, ahead a little no. bit, but- I, I love that's how I know you're such a good morning show host. Is like your 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 prep is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I kind of have this down my life story. But <laughs> yeah, but so please, I didn't know it happened simultaneously. It happened around the same time. It was unbelievable, and there, I didn't want to miss any opportunity. So I always say yes, right? Always say yes, and yeah. you will step up. You will find the way. But they asked me if I was comfortable hosting my own shows. So even beyond light, like at light, I still had a co-host, right? At Martha, I was the sole host. Are you comfortable hosting a show and having guests and giving away prizes? I'm like, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I can and do my head, that. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> you know, like, no. <laughs> like Elvis always did all that stuff. Like, can I do this? But you know, I, 
I got over there and I, I did it and I loved it. And that was another tremendous experience. I met so many interesting people and learned so much. Your work ethic is unbelievable. So you're doing mornings, you're hosting a show. Uh, uh, and, and was this a weekly show or a daily show on the Martha Stewart daily. show? Daily. Oh my gosh. I say that like, uh, I don't know how I survive because I would do the morning show. Um, fortunately at that point, Light FM was in Midtown because you know okay. how easy it is to get around Manhattan, right? Right. So Light FM is on Midtown and 6th Avenue at, uh, I think we were at 44th. And then Martha, Sirius XM, where Howard Stern is, that's on 6th Avenue and 48th, maybe. So just a couple blocks. Yeah, but there were mornings where I was running. It was so (laughs) tight. From me doing the morning show to having to be on air live for Martha. And you can't navigate Manhattan sidewalks very quickly or easily. <laughs> so, you know, and then the security at the building was super intense. They wouldn't just let you up. Like every day there was kind of a search, your bag had to go right. through and we were so many stories up and it was a little stressy that way, but again, so worthwhile. And I, I do like to share, that's okay. Like the story Please, of how yeah. I discovered that I wanted to do the Martha Stewart. Yeah. And <laughs> what was, what was on the channel or what is on the channel, the Martha Stewart channel? It, oh, it was her, it was 24 seven of the Martha lifestyle. Of, okay. of her brand and her magazines. And, you know, so every, I hosted her daily magazine show. So one day was cooking and another was crafting and one was so beauty. This is and talk. This is a talk format. Pure talk. Oh my gosh. <laughs> With her experts who are incredible, you know, each one like so specialized and so talented. Um, when I thought I've got to work for her was when Martha Stewart had she had served a prison term and she was out of jail and she held a press conference and right. she said, uh, like she had the, the poncho on when she came out of jail. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do, do remember that. Big yeah. way. She held a, you know, she was talking to the media after she got out and she said, I'm going to start uh, a radio channel at Sirius XM. And I was watching it on TV live. And I said out loud to the TV, I'm going to work for that radio channel. And I was just determined to This is a common theme in your life. Was this something that just is innately in you or your mother, your father, your brother? Who, where did you get this tenacity? I think it's an incredible quality, but I don't think a lot of people have it. So where does it come from? Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, I think innately in me and then, you know, good support in my parents and, and my brothers, but it just has always been a part of me. And that's like the big thing that I always want to share is that if there's something you you truly, truly want and desire just to declare it, just get it, <laughs> own it. You know, it's, it's yours. You are a walking <laughs> testament to, to that. Just an amazing story. And so are you still doing Martha Stewart today? No, that, so that lasted about two years. Okay. Um, you know, they, there were some changes over there and they started cutting back on what shows they were doing. And now I'm not even, I'm not even sure where her channel is at. If, uh, I think maybe they folded into another channel. It stopped being a 24 seven channel. So when do you sleep? Cause you're getting up in the morning. You are, what time do you get up? Three. So you're up at three and you guys start, are you on air at five, five thirty? Five thirty, Right. So, so and I'm doing, I'm still doing the news, the traffic lifestyle reports, entertainment, all that stuff. So I have to get in a little earlier and write all of that. Prep all that. Then you do your show until 10 and then you would run over to do Martha. And how long was that? 
That was a one hour show. A one hour and then go yeah. home and, and then it, it's relatively common that you're also starring in a play. And so you're doing, you're working several nights a week. And so are you like napping in the day for a few hours? And then, I mean, how do you manage all that? Yeah, you just sleep when you can, right? Like just grab <laughs> sleep when you can. I'm trying to think if I was, I think I was done with Tony and Tina's. I wasn't doing that anymore when I was doing Martha. But I had Martha every day and I was also one of their fill-ins. So sometimes I would do afternoon shifts as well. So it would be super, super long days. And then uh, I think honestly, just probably asleep as soon as I got home, just sleep whenever. <laughs> and the weekends, try and make up for it on the weekends. Right. I didn't start doing theater. I didn't pick up theater again until after I was done with Martha because there just wasn't okay. the, the room. Sure. sure. You have to have some, some time to rest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll go back to LTW. Um, you guys, you and Bob have an amazing run. You guys are on the air for 10 years and uh, become one of the, or I'm sure at some given time, the most listened to morning show in the country. And uh, after 10 years, Bob decides he's going to retire and you get paired with the very famous Cubby Bryant. And tell yeah. me a little bit about that transition. So now I have found... Besides my boyfriend, the love of my life, <laughs> Paul Covey Bryant. Who knew? We say this to each other all the time. We were both working at Z, but he was doing afternoons and I was doing mornings. We would chit-chat a little and it was like friendly. Sure. We did not know that we were like the same person split in half. I mean, he is <laughs> you know, like talk about soulmates. It's it's we get along so well and have just so much in common, approach things the same way, feel things the same way. He's, he's just been incredible. He's just like the most loving, giving, beautiful person. Like can't say enough positive things about him. You guys him. have an amazing uh, synergy on the air. You sound fantastic together. And I think that's part of what makes you so amazing. Everyone that you've been paired with, you just do an amazing job of, and I don't know, I'm sure that to some degree, there's just an innate talent and ability there, but you know how to pull emotion and know how to connect with someone. And I think put them at ease, which uh, is not easy to do. And it's very impressive because you've been on with just these gigantic personalities that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Elvises of the world and Cubbies and, and Bob and so forth. But yeah, uh, it's yeah. very in, in, impressive talent. Do you work with talent coaches? Yeah. Obviously you've had Jim Ryan, you've had Tom Pullman, you've had some mm -hmm. amazing programmers, but have you worked with talent coaches in the past? I haven't. No. I mean, I, I am definitely open to taking direction. You know, Chris Connolly is our program director yeah. now and he's wonderful. And if he gives me direction, I take it, you know, and I think sure. a lot of that is my, also with my background in acting. So I've done so much coaching, an incredible acting coach, Anthony Apeson, who's teaching in Manhattan, who's wonderful. I would recommend to anybody and everybody. And it, they only feed each other and help each other. It's interesting you bring that up because you brought up improv at the earlier in the conversation and how it's always, you know, you, you, it, live radio, why that was different than television. And those skill sets really do match well. And I never thought about it before, but would you say that that uh, improv and acting has made your radio career better and vice versa? Yeah, absolutely. They help each other. So much of it is about being present and being truthful and listening. That's it. <laughs> and, and about your partner, you know, the way I approach acting, a lot of it is about the partner who you're working with. So there is so much focus on that, that, yeah, I guess that's maybe you're right. I haven't even thought of that before, but maybe that ties into why I'm able to connect with, uh, 
whoever my quote unquote scene partner is in the radio (laughs) station, right? Yeah. That's (laughs) such a good way of putting it. Yeah. Really true. It is your, your scene partner, just Mm -hmm. doing a different play every day, but that's uh, (laughs) a a fun and different way to look at it. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, about acting and your passion. I know it was something you're into as a kid um, and you're able to balance both. I mean, being in New York, you're really fortunate geographically to have Broadway and have such a phenomenal art scene in, uh, in the city. Um, what are you doing now right now? Uh, what are you uh, acting in or uh, doing off Broadway at the moment? Uh, well, I was working with a theater company put together with a, another wonderful friend of mine, AJ Chicatelli, who will I, I'll say is another soulmate. We even named our production company Soulmate Productions. And we had a non-for-profit theater company in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which has a great artistic community. And you probably know music community, Bruce Springsteen's from there. Oh, wow. Um, So we were doing all original plays, uh, really, like, I think, just beautiful, beautiful work. We had playwrights from London, New York, Chicago, L.A. We were taking them from the ones that we could take from Asbury Park. We would take to New York City and do off-Broadway, the ones that we could support because, you know, as much as we could fund them because we're non-for-profit, we would take them on the road. And then we did some uh, film with them as well, Uh, some short films, a couple of full-length features that have been doing really well on the film festival circuit, but then COVID. And yeah, So, so we're now just starting to get back together to talk about what we can do. So the theater company is uh, La Strada. It doesn't exist at the moment. I don't know if we're going to bring it back or we're going to do something different, but we're just talking about how we can work together again. And I recently did a, uh, a podcast that I, I just loved because it was a drama and uh, it was written by Brad Forenza and he directed it. And my co-star in that is B.D. Wong. Oh, really? It's, yeah. It's called Around the Sun, and my episode is Apothecary, and it was uh, such an incredible piece. It's only seven or eight minutes long. It's very, very touching and real, so that was like a highlight through everything that happened over the pandemic that's been so rough. This was towards the the end of the uh, lockdown. We did this play for a podcast via Zoom, so I worked with B.D. Wong, which was like how cool you know, is that? I'm not yeah. worthy. <laughs> I was just like, whoa. I just tried to keep my cool. <laughs> and again, he's my partner. So just try and match that. Just try and keep up with that energy. <laughs> and, this. <laughs> and this is, is this available? Can people see this like on YouTube? Yeah, uh, we didn't, um, we didn't post a video of it. It's a podcast. It's audio. Oh, it's only. all audio. Okay. Yeah. There's several episodes and it's called Around the Sun. Okay. And on and iTunes. Spotify everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. I hopefully even iHeart, I believe. So, um, yeah, there's uh, Oh, that's right. iHeart. Got to get that plug in. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, like I said, these are, uh, originally written scripts by Brad Forenza. They're seven, eight minutes long, very touching, very real human New York stories. And he's got famous actors in all of them. Again, the level of BD Wong is just, they're incredible. Is acting, voice acting, when you're doing a role like that, that's audio only, how is that different in regards to your performance as opposed to something that's on stage? Do you have to think differently or do you play that role out uh, in a similar fashion? No, I think just that when you're on stage, you know, things are pitched a little differently because you're trying to 
reach the house, right? You're reaching an audience. So that, that changes the dynamic of it. But doing the podcast would be almost like doing work on film where it's intimate, but you're, you're using your whole being, your whole body, you know, it's like- So you're, when you're recording, you're still acting it out physically. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> In a big way. Otherwise I don't think it would be real, you know. You also have a podcast called Inside Broadway? Yes, with Michael Riedel who uh, he used to write the theater reviews, the Broadway reviews for the New York Post. And now he has a column in the Post and he co-hosts a morning show on WOR. Oh, no kidding. In, in our building. Oh right? my gosh, it's part that's of the iHeart family. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you both have morning shows and then you both co-host this podcast together. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. how, how fun. How often is it a weekly podcast? Yeah, weekly. Since we've come back from the pandemic, it's been bi-weekly. So we'll see if we come back to weekly, but we've been getting some great guests. We get... Broadway stars, you know, and people behind the scenes. And that's great. It's, uh, and not, it's really interesting. Yeah. And the theaters are all back open now? They are. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't know if like they're all up to speed yet. It's It's been coming back. I forget the count of the shows that are up and running, but it's really, really coming back full force, especially this season. So it's really exciting Good. to I'm, see that. I'm happy, yeah. happy to hear that. It's uh, certainly been a crazy uh, couple years, but I know as uh, different cities come back to life, it's just a different energy. And especially in a city, you know, like New York, it's just such an integral part of it. It's like a heartbeat for the city. So I'm happy, it definitely happy to hear is. That. And I'm sure for you, cause you just love theater. I mean, not only do you like, you know, acting and, and reviewing, but you just are a student of it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Get out. I just you love get out everything to about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely my happy place. So yeah, I'm yeah. so glad to see theater coming back and live music coming back because that's everything. My first show back after the pandemic was American Utopia, David Byrne's show on oh, Broadway. How was it? Oh, incredible! Really, really, just like the perfect show to come back to. I went with um, Eric, my boyfriend, who's who's a musician and a, a, a drummer, correct? Yeah, he's a drummer. Um, he's wonderful, by the way. Eric Kalb, yeah. there. Just plug, because yeah. he's so good. Um, <laughs> so talented. Uh, so it was like a perfect combo because we had music that we loved, and we were in the theater, and it was our first show back that we were both crying. And so was most of the audience. Like We honestly were standing there dancing, kind of holding each other, and everybody was sobbing. We were uh. together again. You know, that, that connection, that energy Communal, was sure. just so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a combination of it just being a, an amazing show, but also for the first time back together and the arts mm-hmm. all being there. That And David Byrne's message. I mean, that is almost like his whole message of the show, even before all of this happened, about human connection. Yeah. That's beautiful. It sounds like a phenomenal moment. Did you happen to take any uh, video of it? Or you were just immersed no, in it? I'm no, I'm so good. I play by the rules. I, you know, they tell <laughs> oh, you not, not to, and to. so okay. I don't. <laughs> I, I think I have the curtain, you know, and I usually like take a little picture of the playbill so I can go on Instagram. Like, hey, we're here. Yay. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. You're a good, uh, a good audience member. Yeah. <laughs> You're also really involved uh, animal activism, uh, women, women's health uh, organizations. Uh, you were down and, oh my gosh, the name of the... Um, it's not Union Square. What's the other? Uh, Bryant Park. And mm-hmm. I was watching some video where you're down there and you actually have uh, uh, casts from different shows come out and uh, out at Bryant Park. Is that a regular uh, a regular event or that was just kind of a special thing that you guys had done? 
Yeah, that's uh, that's a huge event for Light FM that we do every summer, and thankfully is back this year. We were back for one day last year. Normally, it runs for up to six weeks during the summer. So it's Broadway and Bryant Park. So it's uh, the Broadway shows come there and they perform one or two numbers or maybe even three. And it's free and it's beautiful. It's the summertime in Manhattan and it's right at lunchtime and people can come by and see these great Broadway performers for free. Just literally sing right there. That's fantastic. Yeah. And hopefully like that entices you to go see the show. You know, you want to see more. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that you're able to weave in your passion uh, into what your daily your your daily job, if you will. I think that's an incredibly cool and benefits some amazing charities along the way. Again, that's kind of just like again the the stars aligned. Light FM and theater work together really beautifully. This audience loves theater as well, yeah. so I'm fortunate, you know. I was watching uh, Warren Buffett uh, had his annual meeting this last weekend and uh, it comes it came up you know about how do how he does what he loves and you'll tap dance to work every day and I think you are mm-hmm. actually a perfect example of that you really do what you love Very true it, it sh- you can hear it on the air and you can see it mm-hmm. uh, you know in social media and so forth a oh, uh, few, <laughs> few miscellaneous, just kind of fun questions. Uh, we talked about, I mean, just you've worked with the who's who of people. But we've talked about, obviously, uh, Jim Ryan and Chris Connolly and Tom Pullman and Cubby and Elvis. <laughs> but uh, uh, tell me if you got to pick one of those guys out uh, as a mentor, um, what is something that they've taught you that you'd like to pass on? Wow, it's hard to, that is that's a tough one to choose one as a, a mentor. I feel like what I've learned, the big takeaway from from Cubby, from Elvis, from the on-air personalities is really, really being true to who you are and being very honest and very open with your coworkers, with your audience, like really letting it all out there and being friends with the audience and feeling their friendship come back at you and that appreciation, that gratitude, you know? That authenticity. Um, yeah, uh, I think being authentically you. And then when you have great program directors like Jim Ryan, like Tom Pullman, like Chris Conley, who allows you to be who you are, that that's when you that's sure. when you feel free. That's when you feel free on air. And and that's where you make those great connections with the with the listeners. And I think you have to be very comfortable with yourself to be able to do that. I, I think it's easier said than done. And I agree with you 100% to be authentic, but I think so many people were born not wanting to share certain things and to mm-hmm. live your life on air like that is putting yourself into a vulnerable position. And so I really applaud that you've been able to do that in the largest market uh, you know, oh, in the country and have such incredible success with that. You well, know, thank you. I appreciate it. And it's, it, it, it wouldn't be for everybody, right? If you don't want to live that lifestyle, that's, I respect that completely, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you want to keep things private. And I think um, also you, you have to, there's a lot of trust, you know, when you have a great co-host that there are certain boundaries, there are certain things that maybe aren't open for discussion or are a little sensitive and we're not going to go there. Sure. Um, you know, so it, it it's just that if you can, if you feel free enough to be yourself, that's where the magic happens for anybody in, in radio and I think in show business. Because it really was like an acting coach who told me, and I took that advice to heart years and years ago, like when I was 17 or something, know who you are and be you to the fullest because no one else can be you. There's only one you. So Great. at 17, when you're incredibly 
most of us are incredibly insecure. It's kind of like somebody telling you it's okay to be you, even if that isn't some standard that you see as perfect because nobody's perfect, but really just your flaws, all of it, all of it works. Use all of it. It's a great, uh, fantastic piece of advice. What would you like to be remembered for? You've done obviously uh, amazing things in radio, in plays and uh, stage. If you had to pick one, radio or oh. acting. Well, I would like to hopefully be uh, remembered for being a loving person. I think <laughs> it's hard for me to, to choose as far as um, my career is concerned. In, uh, you know, I'm so proud of, of uh, the opportunities that I've had and um, and so it's also important to me, but I think being a kind, loving, giving person is where I'm going, I think is, is the most valued. So I, I hope I can, I hope I can do that and be that. Well, I can vouch that you are, I think, uh, you, you are exactly who you say you are, which is, uh, is rare and, uh, I think should be uh, treasured. Congratulations on all of your success. Please uh, keep me abreast of uh, what you end up doing with the uh, La Strada Theater Company. And I would uh, love, to, love to catch you in a show and hope you guys uh, decide to bring it back now that uh, hopefully the pandemic is, is mostly yeah. behind us. And yes. thank you for everything that you do for, uh, for radio and for uh, women's health organizations and animal activism. And uh, I know that uh, Archie, I'm sure, is also very appreciative of that as well. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think he is. <laughs> I think he's a he may, happy kitty. <laughs> he may be too young to understand it. Right. <laughs> He'll get it. <laughs> but thank you, Chachi. You're so generous. And it was so kind of you to have me and listen to my story. Thank you so oh, I, much. I loved every minute of it. Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Chachi Loves Everybody. If you like the show, we hope you'll leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Benstown Podcast production, hosted and researched by Dave Chachi Dennis. Executive producer, Kevin Horton. Produced and edited by Tom Green. Show coordinator, Juliana Parisi and Laura Keene.